The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananus, the priest, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was helped, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see that the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further amongst the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this, in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they, praised, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, we've just sung, I believe in the name of Jesus. That's a very powerful thing that binds us together, brothers and sisters. 
And uh, what we have before us is the words of the authority of the name of Jesus in the scripture. So I invite you to keep that open in front of you. We'll make various references to verses as we go past. And there should also be an outline of where we're going um, in your leaflet. Let's, uh, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for all of these things that have been revealed to us through your apostles via the authority, well, through the authority of Jesus via your apostles. And we pray that today you would challenge us and encourage us, uh, teach us to be wise and show us what we need uh, for life in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so what are your thoughts about Greta Thunberg? Just trying to get a gauge as I see the various faces around the room. Greta Thunberg. Last year, Time magazine named her Person of the Year, as well as um, one of the world's 100 most influential people. I can't actually see you guys. I'm going to come forward. Hi. There we go. Uh, so one, one of the world's 100 most influential people. So her protest against inaction of governments on climate change began all on her own on the steps of the Swedish parliament at the age of 15, a year and a half ago. By September of last year, she was joined globally by four million people, the largest climate demonstration in history. Greta has been persistent. She has been unflinching. She has been irreverent. Uh, you may have heard snippets from her angry and impassioned speech to hundreds of world leaders. Uh, not many people get that opportunity uh, at the UN last year where she said how dare you entire ecosystems are collapsing and you come to us young people for hope how dare you you have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words we are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth how dare you she's pretty direct isn't she what do you think of that if you actually see the video of her speaking, it looks like she's almost in tears with her anger and her frustration and even her despair, not just about the climate, but about the fact that she feels no one is listening on this issue. Surely she's too young to be doing all this, right? Uh, shouldn't she be back in school? That's what the establishment said. Because she was disrupting things. She was subverting uh, the system. It's not how you do it, Greta. You don't get angry in a speech to world leaders. This is not how things work. There are ways and means for getting things done. Protests are a nuisance. You don't understand all the facts. You certainly don't want to throw out the system because it may not be perfect, but it sort of works. You don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. In fact, please don't unsettle the apple cart thinking that's the solution. That's how the establishment thinks. How about you? Perhaps you've said something to yourself like this. Climate change is certainly an important issue, but subverting the system is not the way to do it. Do you know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm saying? Maybe you thought something like that. I, I want to challenge that idea. In fact, I want to flip it upside down. And today I want to suggest climate change, although important, is not the primary concern of Christians, but subverting the system is fundamental to who we are. Jesus was a radical. His message undermined the system. 
and the power brokers, and they put him to death for it. And in today's passage, it looks like it's going the same way. If you only got halfway through it, it looks like it's going the same way for Jesus' followers. How do we feel about being subversive? Are there conventions that we mustn't break? Are there laws that we must always obey? Must we fit into the system? Aren't we told in Romans 13 to submit to the authorities since they've been established by God? Do you think of yourself as a subversive person? Not a lawbreaker, that's not what I'm suggesting, but someone willing to stand up for the truth of the gospel, even if it means standing up against the system and against conventions. Because the gospel itself stands against the system. It's a new kingdom that Jesus is establishing. He's the king of kings. It changes everything. The gospel challenges conventions, and our job is not actually to defend conventions but to bring the truth of the gospel to light and so that's the title of the talk today uh, bringing the truth to light and first of all we're going to look at this nine part story that we've just had read for us and then um, and that we'll spend the majority of our time on that and then at the towards the end I have some suggestions for how we can play our role in bringing the truth to light and what it should look like or what it could look like so part one then the nine part story of Peter and John's witness. And the nine parts are arrest, question, defense, shutdown, challenge, release, report, prayer, aftermath. Peter and John, they're in the middle of speaking to the people and they're interrupted. We're winding the clock back 2,000 years. Uh, perhaps only a few months after Jesus has risen from the dead and has been taken up to heaven. Two Sundays ago, we looked at Peter's speech to these onlookers. They had healed a lame man through the name of Jesus. And so this formerly crippled man is walking around uh, the temple precincts and praising God. And Peter reminds all the people listening that awesome as it is, this miracle of healing is actually a signpost pointing to the even more extraordinary miracle of God raising Jesus from the dead and giving people the opportunity to turn back to God for times of refreshing in the present and for this future hope of the restoration of all things in the future, a new everything, as we called it two weeks ago. And so on, on this day that they've all gathered together, there's a couple of thousand more people have become followers of Jesus uh, in, in the process. But Peter and John are interrupted by the authorities. They're in this temple area and the temple bigwigs come and they shut the whole thing down. They've, they've obviously been listening in, and, but the thing that gets to them is this message that there is in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's a subversive idea if you think about it. Uh, take away people's fear of death and who knows what can happen. You know, you've, you've heard about the sects around there, Waco or whatever. You, you know, when people aren't afraid to die, all sorts of things, terrible things can happen. And of course, it's especially subversive if you're the group who put him to death and, you know, you're hoping for this whole movement to go away, but they're saying he's still alive. Um, you know, what's going to happen? So there is the arrest of Peter and John. And they put them in prison until the next day. 
They're wanting to maintain the status quo. That's what the establishment does. With thousands of people going over to these new beliefs, the status quo, though, is looking a little shaky. The next day, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish Council of Elders. And all the big names are there. You know, Caiaphas and John, these high priests and the former high priest. No one's on leave today. And Peter and John face a question. Part 2, verse 7. By what power or name did you do this? And they're referring back to the healing. And they probably already know the answer that they're going to get. But here we are in a courtroom. And if blasphemy or any hint of rebellion can be heard officially in the courtroom, then it can be dealt with officially in the courtroom. So then Peter gives a defense. And Luke tells us that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that he's lost the Spirit after Pentecost and now he's got him back again. It's more a reminder to us that this kind of talk that we're about to hear comes only by the Spirit of God. And possibly uh, in light of what verse 31 says, you can scan your eyes down there, we'll come to it. Possibly there's a sense also in which the, the Holy Spirit particularly enables Peter in this very moment to say exactly what was needed. Of course, it's also a reminder of something that Jesus had himself told his disciples uh, shortly before his passion. And in Luke's first volume, the Gospel of Luke, because Acts is his second volume, in the first volume, uh, chapter 21, verses 12 to 15, Jesus tells his apostles these things. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name, promises Jesus. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And so these words that Peter now utters in the Sanhedrin, they seem like they're almost not his at all. Because last time he was anywhere near this house of the high priest, he was in the courtyard outside. Do you remember what he was doing out there? Well, standing in the spot where he's now standing with this semicircle of Jewish elders around him, quizzing him, standing in this spot, last time Peter was anywhere near the, the, the house of the high priest, was Jesus himself. And Jesus had been accused by these very same men and was facing a questioning. And Peter was outside in the courtyard. He wasn't boldly witnessing for Christ, but he was shamefully denying that he even knew who Christ was. I don't know him. Nothing to do with me. Peter was outside being a chicken. He was afraid. He was uncertain about what was happening. And in the end, after the rooster crowed, uh, the reality hit in and he ran off and wept bitterly. Well, now it's Peter's turn in this spot, in the semicircle. He's standing right there, the same spot that Jesus was standing as the high priest tore his clothes in fury 
and accused him of blasphemy. And the whole group had said, he is worthy of death to Jesus. And then they'd spat in his face and they'd punched him repeatedly and they'd slapped him repeatedly. They'd mocked him and dragged him off to Pilate. So what is going to happen next for Peter? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? In a way. He, he didn't know, of course. He didn't have the book of Acts to tell him how it would all pan out. But the question is, would he deny Christ again? Uh, or would he be hauled off like Jesus was? Could there be any other option? It turns out that Peter's defense was not really a defense, if you look at it. Maybe there was a little bit of Greta in him. How dare you, is the, is the hint. Because Peter says, are we really being called to account for an act of kindness? You know, after all, this man has had a lifelong disability and, you know, he's just been healed. So we're in trouble for this, are we? You, if you want to know how that happened, and by the way, it's not just you who needs to know how this happened, leaders, but all of Israel needs to hear this. The name by which he healed was the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah of Israel. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, by the way, you crucified him. How dare you? But God overturned your evil, raised him from the dead. Yes, Jesus' name and authority are still very much at work, despite what you tried to do to him. And he healed this lame man. And Peter doesn't stop there either. It, he's, he can't, it's like he says, um, it might be helpful for you to know, dear members of the Sanhedrin, that the Bible not only predicted what happened to Jesus, but it predicted your rejection of him. And I, I can even be helpful and quote you the verse, which he does, Psalm 118. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is not just one prophet in a line of many. He is the cornerstone of God's salvation. He is the critical foundation stone that needs to be laid first to line up the whole building and to provide the footings for the whole building of God's salvation. Peter is telling them that they are against God. And they are against his plan of salvation through Jesus. And there is no other plan. And so what's actually happening here is that Peter and John, in some ways, are not the ones on trial. It's Israel and their leaders who are on trial here. How are they going to respond to these accusations from the defense? It's a reminder to us that which seat we sit in in life doesn't mean anything. The badges or roles or job descriptions that we have in some ways don't mean anything. You might be a manager or a business owner. You might even be a judge or a school teacher. We're all under authority and we're all accountable for our actions. Well, how does this all go? The council is astonished actually here are two unschooled ordinary men it says they'd been with jesus and also here's the beggar from the temple gate who's never walked in his life they all knew who he was and he's standing there with them and uh, luke tells us there was nothing 
they could say. Reminds you of what Jesus prophesied, doesn't it? They're speechless. It's an embarrassing moment for them. Peter and John are removed. Let's get them out of here. We need to talk about this. They have a little chat. What are we going to do? The whole city has seen this. We can't pretend it hasn't happened. We can't punish them for it. I mean, then the status quo really will evaporate. Rome's going to say, you can't keep control of these people. Out you go. And so what they do is they give Peter and John the shutdown. You are commanded by your elders not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. This is serious. That ought to do it. <laughs> but no, immediately Peter and John challenged their authority. Wow. Verse 19, they, they, they ask, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. Apparently that's your role here. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And so there, I, I believe, brothers and sisters, there is a time for civil disobedience. There is a time for challenging the authorities and for not submitting to their authority. If someone makes a law that prevents us from speaking about Christ or teaching in his name, then I believe we are permitted, no, obligated to break that law. Now, of course, you've got to be gracious about it and wise about it. I've been a little bit inflammatory in the way I've retold the story. You realize that? I don't actually, it doesn't, the, the text is fairly straight. But I think what we can pick up from the text is that the apostles aren't actually being rude. Um, they are, they're not being rude. They are appealing to a common desire that the members of the Sanhedrin and them would have. And that is that they want to have right standing before God. But in the end, they've, they've given the apostles an, an impossible choice. See, that is, they've seen the resurrected Christ. They've been sent by him to bear witness. And so preaching Christ and his name is what they believe to be right before God. What, what else are they going to do? But also, not, not only should we be wise and gracious about this, I think it's better to keep the door of communication open as much as possible in the way in which we, uh, we go about this sort of thing. Peter and John don't say no. They, they don't call them evil, although Jesus did, <laughs> uh, not, not in his trial, but at many other times. Rather, they raise the fact that the court's instruction goes against what they've seen and heard from the Messiah. What else are they going to do but obey him? So help me God. Well, then there's the release. They're free. They couldn't decide how to punish them because the whole city is erupting in the praise of God because of this miracle. And so Peter and John are free. The next part of the story is the report. Peter and John go back to their own people and they tell them the whole story. I mean, you can imagine. Where do you start with this story? I mean, they must have been just sort of blah, blah, blah. I've, you, got, blah. you know, is it, do they start with the arrest? Do they start with the 2,000 more converts? Do they start with the powerful defense or word of judgment on the elders of God's people? Do they start with the release, the fact that the Sanhedrin had no answers? God has clearly been at work 
through his spirit. And so what do God's people do? on my page when they heard this verse 24 they raised their voices together in prayer to God that's a good thing to do and it's a phenomenal prayer with much to teach us let's have a look at it sovereign Lord verse 24 you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant our father David and so as all good prayers do, uh, their prayer starts with praise. You made. You spoke. And then they quote King David from Psalm 2 in their prayer. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. God, we're not surprised at what we're seeing here because you predicted it. We saw Herod and Pilate conspiring against your Messiah just as Psalm 2 prophesied. Verse 28, they continue. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This prayer is not mournful. It's praiseful. These people are at great risk of speaking out. If they're speaking out, they're at great risk um, from these powerful tyrants. But they can see God using even the evil of the powerful tyrants to fulfill his promises and bring about his will. And so they're not afraid. Now, that's, this is the praise, the acclamation to God of his power and goodness. We should do this when we pray. Don't neglect to, to give God the glory for what we've received from his hand. But what comes next in their prayer? Well, there's a request. And so what do you ask for in this context? Do they pray for safety? Lord, protect us as we face this challenge. Do they pray for peace? Lord, may this danger subside. Do they pray for some kind of exemption? Lord, please send someone else. Well, there's nothing wrong with us praying for safety or for peace or that God would send out workers into the harvest. But what these Christians do is they pray for boldness. Verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Lord, make us strong. Make us fearless. But there's another associated request. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they're praying for more signs that point to Christ, more things to talk about in their boldness, more ways in which the name of Jesus would be glorified. And a couple of weeks ago, I Towards the end of the sermon, I gave a couple of thoughts about how we should think about prayers for, for um, miraculous signs in the contemporary situation. You can have a look at that online if you can't remember. Finally, there's the aftermath. The building shakes. Can you imagine if the building shook this morning after our prayers? That would really emphasize something, wouldn't it? 
Um, they have an awareness of the Spirit's presence with them and their prayer is answered. They speak the word boldly. Two verses down, um, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to Jesus' resurrection. It's not a second Pentecost, but in praying this prayer for boldness, they have felt a tangible answer to their prayer. God is in them and is strengthening them. Okay, and much more briefly now, part two, our role in bringing the truth to light. So what does all this mean for us here in the 21st century, the other side of the world? Well, Jesus called on his apostles to bear witness to him. And he promised that he would be with them and give them words to say, as we've heard. And since the church that we're part of, the church is built on the witness of the apostles, the church has therefore the same task, to bear witness to Christ as the apostles were to do. But I don't believe that our role as the church is identical to the role of the apostles because they were given Christ's direct authority and his direct words. Peter could act on Jesus' behalf by healing the lame man. I can't, I can't do that. But Peter could just walk past the man and say, in the name of Jesus. You know, he carried that authority with him. Uh, he also carried the authority... Uh, in his preaching and proclamation. So Peter's words and those of the other apostles are, are, are of a very particular order for us. They're binding on the church because they spoke with Jesus' authority. We've mentioned this before, but that's why we believe that the New Testament is not simply a historical document, but is the word of God because it's the, it's the word of these authorized witnesses, the apostles. The New Testament is the apostles' testimony and the church is built on the New Testament. Jesus effectively says to us, uh, if you want to hear from me, listen to them. Listen to the apostles. So we've got to get that straight. But although our ministry is not identical to theirs, it is built on theirs. And so there's continuity. We do the same sort of things. We are seeking to bring the truth about Jesus to light. There are many uh, non-apostles who witness to, the, uh, to, the, to Christ in the book of Acts. And we're going to come across um, uh, Stephen in a few weeks' time. He's a great example. So I'm not saying that um, we... Well, I'm saying that if Jesus subverted the status quo, if the apostles subverted the status quo, then we too are to subvert the status quo. I'm not saying that we all go and become radicals and protest wherever, wherever we can think of. We have a message and the message of Jesus will upset people. If we speak of him, we will break social conventions. In some countries, we'll be breaking the law. He wants us to submit to governments and their authority, but his authority is higher than theirs. And if they band together, according to Psalm 2, and if they plot against the Lord's anointed one, then we follow the king of kings, not just the kings. So with those things in mind, I have four quick suggestions then uh, about what this looks like for us. Three of them are about speaking to God, about our prayers, and one is about speaking to others. So suggestion number one. Prayer for ourselves should include prayer for boldness. You should pray for yourself. 
Um, Lord, give me wisdom, give me humility, whatever the range of things, give me joy, the fruits of the Spirit, whatever it is. But include in that prayer, prayers for boldness. I have a task. I need to bear witness to Jesus, and so do you. But sometimes I'm chicken. Lord, make me bold. Yes, we bear witness to Jesus through our actions and through our love as well, the practical ways. But those things, like the miracles, they are the signs pointing to Jesus. And so, Lord, make me bold to speak his name. I'm in a conversation and I, and I want to mention Jesus, but I don't know how. So right there in that moment, I pray, Lord, make me bold to speak of Jesus in this situation. Help me to know how to do this. Give me the words. Help me to speak them. Suggestion two. Prayer for other workers should include prayer for boldness by extension. If you're praying for someone in a leadership role, a preacher or a minister, a Bible study leader, somebody who's in the public space, pray for them to have boldness. If you're praying for gospel workers overseas, especially for those in, in a country where evangelism is illegal and we pray regularly for Nigel and Rose in Southeast Asia pray that God would give them boldness it's wrong for that country to say it's illegal to evangelize Christ says his, his people, his followers must speak his name suggestion three prayer for the persecuted church should include prayer for boldness. We're horrified when we hear stories of Christians being arrested and imprisoned, beaten or even killed for being Christian, and there are millions and millions of Christians that face persecution around the world. We want to pray, Lord, protect them. Please, Lord, stop them from being arrested or imprisoned. Those are valid prayers to pray. But we should also pray, Lord, give them boldness if after our prayers for safety the Lord still allows someone to hold a gun to their heads we don't want them to give up and deny him we want them to entrust themselves to God as Peter and John did before the Sanhedrin they had a gun to their head of course I don't know about you but I find it deeply unnerving praying for Christians around the world to have the boldness in the face of death. I mean, you know, we're sitting in our comfortable um, and safe South Australia. Um, and so maybe, you know, what comes with this prayer is actually our own faithful action. You know, maybe there's a way in which we need to say, well, you know, if, the, if we're going to pray for boldness for those who have the gun at their head, we need to be bold ourselves when it's just a matter of breaking some conventions. And faithful action then leads to suggestion four. Cross the pain line and speak the name of Jesus. Ask people... I, so I, I realise that this is a, a tricky thing. You're, you're, I know that we often find ourselves in conversation, we don't know how to do this. Like, What am I going to say? How do I turn this conversation to Christ? And they are valid questions. I want you to be thinking about... What are some of the things you can say? One of the things, or here's a few suggestions. I think one of the, the 
the best ways to break that, um, you know, to break into that conversation is simply to ask a person, do you have a faith? Do you have some kind of spirituality? Do you have a view about how the spiritual side of things works? Do you, do you believe in a creator? Um, and ask them questions. Ask them if they ever think about God and, and what's out there. Ask people if they ever pray when they're in trouble. Someone tells you that they've had a cancer diagnosis. Do you ever pray? You're not being rude. I mean, it's the best thing they could possibly do. Um, ask your family and friends lots and lots of questions because the way it works is that unless we show a great deal of interest in their spirituality and in their, their views of the, of the world and faith and God and these sorts of things, they're just not going to be interested. They're not going to think that your views have any, any particular validity because you, you are always hoping for an opportunity to mention the name Jesus. And this is the key thing. If you are going to bear witness to Jesus, if you're going to cross the pain line, then you actually have to speak the name of Jesus. That his name actually needs to come out of your mouth. There are many ways to, to say it. I mean, and it's good to prepare different ways of saying it. The world is sick and God sent Jesus to heal it, to heal us. The world is broken and God sent Jesus to fix it. The world doesn't want to know God, but God wants to know us, and so he sent Jesus. People are struggling to understand their purpose in life. Jesus brings purpose. There are many, many different ways that we can very simply mention the name of Jesus. But it does involve crossing that pain line, so pray for boldness. Well, to conclude, we're on a mission. Jesus' mission continues today. It's the same mission that the apostles were doing. Uh, but he continues his mission through us. We have the example of Jesus' authority at work through the apostles. And we have the authority of Jesus through the apostles' words in the Bible. So we carry Jesus' authority with us. But we also have the Holy Spirit who is in us, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit they had, who works in us and works through us. Have you prayed for the Spirit? To make you bold lately. And you know, we go, we flip from bold to chicken to bold to chicken. Um, but that's all right. Just keep praying for boldness. And remember, no power or authority in the universe can stand against this. It's the unstoppable mission of Jesus. For salvation is found in no one else. There is no plan B, there is no other way. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for boldness. We pray it for ourselves. We pray it for those in various leadership roles, whether here in the church or in our Bible study groups, in the wider community on the mission field, we pray that you would give them boldness. Lord, we pray for the persecuted church today, for those who face real tangible challenges to, uh, to life and lifestyle. We pray for boldness, that your people would know your promises and know the authority of Christ, that he 
is the King of Kings and that his mission that started these 2,000 years ago and, and even earlier in terms of the promises, that this mission is unstoppable and that it will all culminate in uh, Jesus' return. Our Father, help us to have the clarity in our, our hearts and minds about the truths that we believe and celebrate when we gather here on Sundays so that as we go out, uh, we might carry them with us. Father, we pray that you would work through our church. You would help us to testify fearlessly to Christ. And Lord, if there are those amongst us who haven't come to a point of faith in Christ, we pray for your spirit to work in us too. Please draw these people to you, that they might know the grace and wonder of your plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his powerful and ultimate name. Amen.